This is the Overdue Homework Podcast. I love listening to Drew and Drive talk about the movies and the video games. I really like to listen to them talk about the TV shows. Oh, yes, I do. This is the greatest podcast in the whole universe. You better listen. Welcome to the show. I'm joined by Trav Konikowitz. I'm Drew Morehouse. And I'm Trav. This is the Overdue Homework Podcast. As always, we're here to talk about 80s and 90s media. How are you today, Trav? I'm doing super good, Drew. Pretty good to be back at it. We had to take an extra long break because I got the vid for the first time. You got the vid, and hopefully, dear listener, you won't notice the break because we're still going to be releasing the episodes on time, but uh, it's been a while since we've recorded. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. Since we even hung out and played some games. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of games, I picked up... uh, 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 I can't think of the name of the game right now. Uh, the Kawabunga Collection. There we go. I was gonna say that because <laughs> I just picked it up yesterday. <laughs> yes, uh, TMNT, the Kawabunga Collection, and it is everything that you expect it to be. Yeah, uh, I have not opened it yet. I went to GameStop first, and they didn't have a single copy on any system, so I had to go to Target. I had the same problem. I went to Best Buy. Their website said they had it. They didn't have it. So I'm like, I'll, go to, I'll go to Target because Target said this isn't available for pickup because it's a, a low stock item. So come yep. to the store and get it. Target didn't have it. Nice. So I ordered it and it was supposed to be here on the 10th. It didn't arrive until the 13th. What the heck? <laughs> so I got to play it a little bit yesterday. <laughs> I got to play it. So we got to play it together. Yeah, Absolutely. Although, I don't know if it was just the volume of players online, possibly or not, but the online was terrible yesterday. Yikes. It was really, really bad. But anyways, I'm also doing pretty dang good. Um, I'm going to share some good news with the podcast audience. Uh, my wife is pregnant. What? Yes, 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 yes. So, we are expecting, and thankfully... This will be the last one. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's big news on my end, and we're both of us are very excited to welcome a, a new baby into the household. So. That's super awesome. Congratulations. Thank you very much, Trav. Thank you very much. A um, couple of loose ends before we uh, get on over to anything else. Um, we had talked about in the, uh, uh, in the Cable Guy episode about uh, Charles Napier, who was the police officer in Cable Guy, and you mentioned... I'm pretty sure that he's in Silence of the Lambs. He sure as hell is. Sure enough, baby. <laughs> he is a Lieutenant Boyle in Silence of the Lambs. So you were correct on that there, Travis. Nice. And then uh, Harry O'Reilly is the name of the actor that played Steven's boss in Cable Guy. Um, I was thinking about Jerry Lambert when I said it looked like that dude in those car insurance uh, commercials. Jerry, oh, yep. Jerry Lambert is in Geico commercials and a whole bunch of other stuff, oh, too. okay. So they look similar. They're not the same guy. Um, uh, Harry O'Reilly, that was in Cable Guy as Steven's boss, um, has worked on a bunch of other projects with Stiller. So that's sure. the connection there with them. Uh, now that those uh, loose ends are tied up, should we talk a little video game? Let's talk a little video game. So in the United Kingdom and in the United States, the following titles were the highest grossing arcade video games of 1986. And I, cho- I chose 86 because of uh, Ghosts, and, uh, Ghosts and Goblins, which was assigned in the last episode. So, number one, number one in Great Britain was Nemesis, which is also known as Gradius. Gradius. So, yeah, so that's a great game. I've played that many a time in, in the arcade. And then Hang On, which, you know, classic, uh, classic motorcycle video game that was in many, many, many arcades that I'm sure we've all played at one point or another. Oh, yeah. Um, there's a couple other games in here, like uh, uh, Spy Hunter was number five, and um, Rampage is number seven, and Ikari Warriors, number eight. And then Ghosts and Goblins, number nine. So that was the ninth best arcade video game in 1986. So appropriate for us to have assigned that last episode. Oh, yeah. Um, like always, the uh, uh, the links to any type of uh, 
uh, source that I use is going to be in the show notes, um, including some YouTube links to some videos that we're going to talk about a little bit later. But before we get into anything else, we need to thank Tim. We do need to thank Tim. <laughs> I'm sure everybody realized that the opening of this uh, episode was a little bit different than uh, <laughs> what we've been using before. Uh, Tim was gracious enough to put his own spin on the intro, and uh, frankly, I love it. <laughs> I, I love it, too. It was the perfect gift for me while I had COVID. <laughs> right. That is the perfect gift, right? Um, Tim, like we've said before, is a friend of the show, so he uh, went above and beyond to uh, put this together, put that together for us, and uh, to give him his proper due, we're going to play that for you right now. Which, I mean, playing it for you right now is I'm going to add it in editing once we're done recording this episode, but... <laughs> so, have a listen. 80s, 90s, 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 
my heart racing on numerous occasions and yeah um especially just, that first time we played i wish that would have been recorded because yeah. we were just ah, <laughs> nah. it's just it's a really really fun game and it's uh it's just it's just a really really good game i can see why it's been re-released and why people love it so much because it's just really really good yeah 86 and it's still this much fun right I mean, that speaks for itself that speaks for itself so there are a few cons to the game. The game can feel unfair at times, honestly. Definitely. With the random enemies spawning in your face, the knockback when you take a single hit. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the knockback. And you I only tell get you. two hits That's until it. you're dead. So you get that knockback into the river. Yeah. You're dead. You're dead. You're dead. Uh, the two hit deaths, like you said, the spongy jumping. I think that's a pretty good way to describe yes, the jumping. Yes. What do they say? It's not a it's not a glitch. It's a feature, right? Yeah. It's a feature on that one. And then on top of the spongy jumping is you are expected to make some ultra precise jumps. Ultra like precise. Pixel perfect jumps. Yes. There's a couple of times where you can kind of glitch into the surrounding that you yeah. almost make it, you yep. know, and then you get yourself a little bit of a second chance. But, uh, you know, to speak on some fairness in the game. You do get unlimited continues. Yes. That's a huge plus. The game would be way too hard. Yes, it is needed. Yeah, that would, it would definitely be in the realm of this game is way too hard. Right. So at least whoever developed that game was like, hmm, I guess I'll give them unlimited continues at least. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I definitely love that game. And like I said, I'll be back at that game before you know it. Oh, yeah. I mean, all the time. That's going to be a heavy rotation game. Yeah, next week. Um, with that out of the way, we can talk about our, uh, Nicktoons Halloween, right? Such a good homework assignment. Yeah. And, uh, I'm excited that this is going to be coming out pretty close to Halloween too. Yes. I mean, that's very excited. So. And it is our 13th episode. So a yep. little, it's appropriate. Yeah, it's got right? me ready for Halloween. It's got me ready to binge more of each of these shows. Yeah, too. definitely. Definitely. Uh, so let's start off with Rocco's Modern Life. Let's do um, it. we did the first segment of episode three so is uh, episode three season three episode 3a and it's called sugar frosted frights and that debuted october 31st 1995 animation direction by alan smart written by martin olson directed and storyboarded by doug lawrence um let's break this one down trav bring it down so this one opens up with the narrator you know it's a tale of madness of tale of madness of wicked evil of dark and foreboding shadows that would chill you to the bone and uh, you mentioned to me that it made you think of the crypt keeper right yeah definitely uh, i feel like that was a, a play off of that right For sure. it's that type of setup yeah uh he immediately burns his finger on that match which i thought was pretty funny a good <laughs> gag lights the candle instead after that yep um, this is the terrible tale of the hopping Hessian. Hessian. <laughs> Boo! And then he gets the, he gets scared, you know, by the, the TV reporter, right? Yeah, he, yeah. All along, it was a man on the street interview for O-Town Action News that uh, Hef was watching on Rocco's TV. Yep. Um, we get to see, uh, Hef and Rocco's costumes right away. Rocco is in an inflatable, really, really big man, uh, costume, which, uh, is, a uh, Good uh, prediction by the by the people of this show because those inflatable costumes are a big deal now for those kids, right? Yeah, like, definitely. That's a pretty good uh, prediction. Um, and then Hef is a glow in the dark jack o' lantern, which uh, appropriate, right? What Appro- else would he be? Yeah, appropriate for him <laughs> for sure. Uh, but immediately after that, uh, Rocco and Hef are going to head out to go trick or treating. Uh, these dudes are in their mid-twenties, right? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you just can't tell because they're animals, but everybody's animals. So right. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Rocco lives by himself. Um, he's got a job. <laughs> yeah. uh, whatever, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. It's a show for kids, so that's why they went trick-or-treating. Hef's immature enough that it's questionable. Yeah, I, uh, yeah it makes perfect special sense. special enough. <laughs> special enough. I like that. I like that. But they got to go pick up Phil Philbert first, right? Philb is not into Halloween whatsoever. No. Uh, scarred for life because of his crazy Aunt Gretchen. The stories of the hopping, Hesh- hopping Hessian. Hessian? 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 Which the, t- the TV reporter, funny, funnily enough, funnily, in a funny way, says, the, watch out for the hopping henchman. And then you hear Hessian? That, Hessian? What is a Hessian anyways? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but back to Philbert here. 
Uh, Crazy Aunt Gretchen convinced him that candy is poison, and if Philb ever touched any candy at all, that the hopping Hessian would come and get him. So, scarred for life. Definitely. Uh, I feel like Crazy Aunt Gretchen makes an appearance in another episode. I think so, too. Yeah, I think so. I I didn't look it up, but I'm pretty sure she makes another appearance later on in the series. Um, Half and Rocco still make Philb go trick-or-treating with him. Uh, you know, because they were like, you got to come with, Phil, right? You got to yeah, come with. you got to. You got to come with. So at the first house, we get the, the doorbell ring and the uh, woman comes to the door. Well, aren't you scary? Wait a minute. You've already been here. And then Rocco says, no, I haven't. No, I haven't. <laughs> oh, yes, you have. Shame on you. And then the door slammed in their faces. And then half-ass, you went out already? No, she's crazy. And then we get to see really, really big man dressed as Rocco. So that's where the confusion must be coming from. And I guess really, really big man is whistling the the theme song to the TV show. Yeah. Uh, I didn't I didn't notice that that's what it was until I was reading about the episode. And then I could hear it. But I don't know. It was such a small little bit that he was whistling. It just didn't sound like it to me. But that's apparently what he's whistling. So. And uh, how it makes sense that he's wearing a Rocco <laughs> costume, I have no idea. No, that's one of the best things about Halloween, about seasonal episodes like this. They don't have to worry about uh, canon. They don't have to no. worry about if the story makes sense. I mean, not that they worry about the story making sense either way. But still. But yeah. It makes sense that he is wearing a really, really big man costume, but yes. not, not vice versa. Not vice versa. Definitely not but vice that's versa. that's okay. Um, but then uh, the boys, they make it over to Gladys Hippo's house. Um, well, ain't, well, well, ain't this a fine thing? Oh, let's see. I bet I have some goodies off screen here. That's another fourth wall breaking thing. Which I, <laughs> I think that's pretty funny. Um, you know, she's the how dare you hippo, which yeah. she doesn't say how dare you in this scene, which I was a little bit disappointed. And apparently this is the only scene where she's not wearing her famous sunglasses, which, yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah, cool. <laughs> but Gladys comes up with the goodies and all the kids go crazy for the candy and the bowl ends up on Rocco's head. Um, and there was no how dare you, like I said, like that should have been the how dare you moment. How dare you, yeah. right? Uh, either way, the encounter resulted with Philb getting his first taste of candy. Um, he absolutely loves it, and now he's a complete maniac. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, he's just never had sugar in general in his entire life. Right, but... he literally inhales both of their uh, goodie baskets, both Rocco and Hef's goodie baskets, which yeah. is pretty dang funny. Um, then they make it over to the third house, and, uh, well, aren't you so cute? What are you supposed to be? Give me the bowl. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we must say trick or treat. Give me the blasted bowl. And then he says, pennies? Are you insane? I need sweets. <laughs> and after that, Phil barges his way into the poor lady's house, and now he's just eating straight sugar from the bag. <laughs> yeah, because um, that's what happens, you know, in your early adult life. If first time you have candy, you then immediately go straight to the granulated sugar. Uh, yep, straight to the granulated sugar. Did you ever eat? You just ate straight sugar as a kid occasionally, I right? mean, occasionally, of course. Yeah, so. big old spoonful of sugar. Yep. It seems so tempting when you do it, and then once it's in your mouth, you're just like, why did I do this? But, you know, Rocco tells Philb that they can help him, but now Philb has completely flipped his lid. Oh, yeah, he's off the deep end. We get that intense fantasy where Philb gets all the candy. It's uh, a Fantasia spoof. I don't know if you knew that or not. Um, I didn't know that until I read about it. I I was like, oh, okay, Fantasia Fantasia spoof. We'll take it. Uh, But then we get back to reality, and uh, Philb is on the run past the old photo hut. We can't go past the old photo hut. It's the place where the hopping Hessian lost his leg. But uh, Hef and Rocco catch up with Philb in a cemetery to bring Phil back with them through the black woods. Uh, the Hopping Hessian at this point is now chasing him, chasing them. They, he made his appearance in his all legless glory, yeah. or single legless glory. <laughs> um, so he's confronted the three of them now, and we get uh, from uh, uh, Heifer, he's got a leg. And then that's when the Hessian throws, uh, the leg at them. And we see Philb's broken glasses in the stream. So at this point, we don't really know what exactly happened, you know? No, no so idea. 
we get a quick interlude with the narrator again, and this is not the end of the story. I don't quite grasp why they decided to do that. It was such a weird, like, I guess they couldn't figure out a way to transition out of that or something like that. I don't know. They needed an extra two minutes or something. I don't <laughs> yeah, know. It, it was does just, seem weird. It was just a little bit. It was just a little bit weird to me. Um, but quickly we fast forward to Halloween one year later, and uh, Philb is now completely embracing Halloween. So he figured it out that it's a great time. It's just about the candy. And he goes to Rocco's house, and the Hessian and Gordon and Hef are all there looking at slides from last year's Halloween. Now, that is a very 90s thing to do, to be sitting on a couch with friends and family looking at slides from a vacation. Yes. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of a running gag in a lot of different 90s cartoons at how, uh, how boring and uh, idiotic it is to sit around and watch slides. You know what I mean? <laughs> from last year. You from know, last at least year, let it right? become a memory. Um, Philip is very confused. Uh, because the Hessians there, you know, and they're all they're all kind of joking around and having lots of fun. And uh, at the end of it, when they're uh, when Gordon tells uh, the Hessian that they better get uh, going to the photo hut because you know it's Halloween, they got to go scare some kids. Yeah. Uh, Phil points out. He asks, "Who took the pictures?" Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, and that's the end of that uh, that section of that episode. Um, what did you think? It was a really good episode. Yeah, I definitely, mean, definitely a good twelve minute episode. Uh, the the Heshman is just awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> and, very. Funny. And when they're all running away from him originally, and Filbert notices at the end, and then of course runs like a turtle, the slowest <laughs> one behind everybody. <laughs> I like that. Um, I liked how uh, when they uh, initially go and find Filbert, when Rocco and Hef initially go and find Filbert, um, he's in his shell, you know, yeah. and they both are freaking out because he doesn't have a head and uh, Hef and Rocco are like, oh yeah, he's a turtle. He's a turtle. <laughs> and then Heifer picks up Filbert and shakes him and he's like a magic eight ball, right? Yeah. yeah. And then he shakes him again and asks, will I ever find true love? And he's like, I'm out, enough already. <laughs> yeah. I get a good good kick out of that. I really like this episode. It was it's one, good. Once I watched it, I was like, oh, I definitely remember watching this one. And like we said in the last episode, I probably watched it before I went trick-or-treating that year. Right. More than likely. Yes. More than likely. I really enjoyed it. Good episode. It was fun to watch. Um, Are we ready to move on to the Angry Beavers episode? Oh, we're ready. <laughs> This episode was a treat. <laughs> this is probably the best standalone episode we've done so far. Yeah, pretty dang For close. all the cartoons, at least, I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. So this episode was called The Day the World Got Really Screwed Up, and that was released October 26, 1998. It's a 30-minute special. Um, it was season two, episode 10. Uh, it was uh, directed by Patty Shinagawa, uh, written by Mitch Schauer, who's also the creator of Angry Beavers. Um, it was storyboarded by Mitch Schauer, John Statema and Michael R. Gerard. This is Mitch Shower's favorite episode. That makes sense. Yeah. And it was also the first episode of Angry Beavers to use uh, uh, actual footage, to use, uh, what's, the, what's the word? To use live action footage. That's what I was looking for. And uh, the title of this episode is A Spoof on the Day the Earth Stood Still which is a, it's a movie from 1951. It's a sci-fi movie, and I, I guess you could probably consider it a B-movie, so it's an appropriate appropriate uh, name spoof for this episode. Yeah, that's good. Um, I enjoy the live-action opening of this episode quite a bit. Um, it was really cool. It made it feel like a movie. Yeah, and uh, they present it like a movie. Yeah. And it does feel like a movie, even though it's still short. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it's one of the like as soon as you get this episode going it's just a really cool one-off type of episode that is really completely different than a lot of the other angry beaver episodes yeah this is an episode that you could watch zero of the show and just plant yourself in this one and still think it's really funny yeah absolutely it's a good standalone it would be a good uh a good way to introduce somebody i think to the angry beavers yes by using this episode but uh, the crux of this episode is that an interdimensional object crash lands on Earth on October 30th, um, enslaving the help of Man Cervante. Man Cervante. <laughs> How good is that, seriously? 
<laughs> I'm Oxnard Montalvo's manservant, Manservante. Servante. <laughs> uh, so enter Norb and Dag. They're trick-or-treating on the day before Halloween. Yeah, because that makes sense. No one else will be out, you know? They, The person that they, the, it must have been the first house that they went to or maybe one of the first house. He's getting wheeled away by uh, EMTs because he's gone crazy with laughter because he can't believe two beavers are trick-or-treating the day before Halloween. I guess, yeah. <laughs> I guess it's a good way to set up the fact that it is the day before Halloween. Yes. And it's crazy that these uh, beavers are trick-or-treating, one, and two, it's the day before Halloween. So. Right, right. Uh, Dag is the spleen with the opposable thumb, and Norb is Oxnard Montalvo. Uh, Norb thinks the whole thing that they're doing is stupider than st- stupid, stupider than stupid. <laughs> yes. Dag thinks they should be able to get uh, more candy. Genius, right? Genius. <laughs> uh, Dag does promise to go home if they don't get any candy at the next house. El Casa Proximo. I got a good kick out of that little yeah. line there. Uh, the next house just happens to be Oxnard Montalvo's, um, and that's also where the inter- interdimensional object landed. What a premise. What a, what a premise. <laughs> I like the gag when, they're, uh, when they read the uh, placard with the, uh, with the address on it. What does this mean? <laughs> it means we can read addresses. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the beavers do hen- head into Oxnard's house hoping for candy and an autograph. Uh, now that they're in the house, the beavers are admiring all the set pieces from all their favorite B movies. They look so real. They look so real. That's because they're coming to life. <laughs> yeah, that explains it. <laughs> the beavers get confronted by Man Cervante. Uh, Dag immediately gets to it. Uh, got any candy? Real subtle. Dag. Real subtle. <laughs> uh, well, it turns out that whatever crashed in the backyard wants the beavers. Um, I've never felt such feelings of reality. Such powers should be mine, says the interdimensional object, which is kind of a weird thing. He wants those beavers pretty badly. Yeah. Uh, the beavers are still only interested in Oxnard or candy or both. Gandy. Gandy. <laughs> Struggling with the Oxnard mask, the beavers avoid being enslaved by Man Cervante. Uh, Dag punches Man Cervante in the crotch and knocks him down the stairs for the first time, which is pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, Got a good, good. good gag out of that or a good laugh out of that. Uh, Norb has had enough and he takes off his costume. Uh, what about the candy? Candy. You need your costume to get the candy. <laughs> you also need a trick or treat bag. Dag it. <laughs> but Dag then realizes that he doesn't have his candy bag anymore. Uh, he sees it down at the bottom of the flight of stairs. That man, Cervante, just fell down. Uh, but the bag is empty. Where is the candy? Did you say candy? Uh, candy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but the beavers finally get to see Oxnard and crew. Uh, but man, Cervante has other plans. And all three of them go tumbling down the stairs again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I was a little confused in this scene because... They go downstairs to see Oxnard and the his scientist friend and Toluca Lake. Then they go flying down another set of stairs. Yep. But then they're immediately back at the same room with Oxnard and everybody. I was like, oh. one of them makes sense when you don't think about yes, it. Yes, it makes sense when you don't think about it. <laughs> um, then uh, the uh, this I believe it might have been Toluca Lake. I think it was uh, the scientist that says Oxnard, look, amazing little pointy animals. And they're coming this way. I love them describing the beavers as pointy animals. Yeah. It's very funny to me. Yeah. It's super appropriate. It's very funny to me. Um, at this point, Man Cervante brings to life one more of the set props and tells it to destroy the human infidels. Destroy them until they're dead. But bring their little pointy creatures to me. <laughs> uh, but now we're back with Oxnard. Uh, what do you creatures want? Um, I, I really, what do you creatures want? The, the weird B movie acting is very funny to me. It's perfect. Uh, Dag destroys the statue that's come to life because it's standing on his tail. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The little creature did it. I'm a beaver. You're kidding, right? He's kidding, right? (laughs) Yeah. That's one of my favorite scenes when he just goes crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really good. Um, but we find out uh, from the scientists that the the group is in a pickle. Imagine the biggest gherkin you can think of, then magnify that times a thousand. 
That's a big pickle. <laughs> <laughs> and then one of the first times that's uh, Mr. Scientist guy wants to show them a short film. Yeah. Um, so we get the lowdown on what's happening. There's been that it's been feed that the uh, interdimensional object is feeding on our reality. Uh, the alien is feeding on all of their thoughts. And uh, the pretty funny gag with Oxnard trying to figure out uh, what's going on. He's banging his head with his hand and stuff. And yeah. Toluca and the scientist are like, come on, come on, you can do it. You can do it. You know, they're like motioning towards him. And then yeah. finally he puts it all together. And uh, I get a I get a good kick out of that. Uh, but the alien is becoming larger and stronger. And uh, Toluca Lake does a pretty good Arnold in- impression after. Because re- she repeats that after the alien says that he's becoming larger and stronger and she yeah. goes the alien is becoming larger <laughs> and stronger which i i was i i got a good kick out of it and thought it was funny but it was weird it was just weird to me that she did that <laughs> yes and everything is now black and white all the statues are attacking the group oxnard tells toluca to run for it so she runs straight into a wall. Yeah. She is uh, not very adept at escaping or doing anything. And, you know, it's no. a purposeful joke, I'm sure, to make fun of those uh, conventions and B-movies. Um, the, doc, the doc and I will hold them off. Oxnard comically getting thrown around the room um, while the, the doctor is working on some sort of invention. He ends up calling, I need a credit card uh, to order these parts, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, with Oxnard in the dock dealing with all the monsters, Toluca and the beavers are on the run. And for me, this is the best gag of the whole episode. Right? 100%. Uh, oh, my ankle. The beavers run back to help her. My other ankle. The beavers <laughs> run back to help her again. Oh, both my, my ankles. ankles. <laughs> Why don't we the just. The second one, he's like, Jesus. <laughs> Why don't we just cut the darn things off? That's what Dag says. Uh, Toluca and the beavers do make it outside only to be chased back inside by the flying monster and uh, Man Cervante is there to confront them and to tell them and the audience what's going on with his master getting stronger and growing larger uh, is now destroying the house but the beavers and Toluca manage to escape. Oxnard tries catching a falling Toluca, but misses, so she just slams into the ground again. Yep. <laughs> She's taking a beating. Yep. Uh, with Cervante, with Man Cervante on the attack, the doc tells Oxnard to hit him with the mindulator. The, hit him with the mindulator thingy. So Oxnard does just that and throws it at Cervante, which <laughs> <It> is <works. laughs> hilarious. You know, he like flips it on and it's getting ready. looks yeah. like he's getting ready to charge it, it or whatever. Just chucks it. Just and hits chucks him. it. <laughs> it works. It works. <laughs> Congratulations, Doc. You did it. Me? You were the one that knew how to use it. <laughs> <laughs> you mean huck it? Yeah. And then uh, uh, Norbert says, is it just me or was that the stupidest thing we've ever seen? <laughs> yeah, that's great. So, yes, the doctor then says, Oxnard, look, the mindulator turned him back to normal. What? I have a little film I'd like to show you. So he's going to show him a film again. Uh, but the master is now destroying all the house completely. And Oxnard is on the phone with the military. And they're pulling out all the stops. But the beavers have it under control. They use the mindulator to bludgeon the monsters. So they're just using it as a as a as an object to beat these monsters up with. Yep. Um and then they just launch the thing at the at the master, and it destroys the master, putting everything back to normal. Uh, the episode ends with the military bombing their own military base, which is pretty funny, right? <laughs> yeah, it is funny. Uh, and the doc asking Toluca, how do your ankles feel now? Well, they're broken, but they're better. <laughs> <laughs> well, with Oxnard trying to wrap things up, the doctor interrupts and says basically that some bad things happened. And now Dag gets to show his own film explaining everything that happened, but uh, we don't get to see it. Nonetheless, everyone is really impressed with Daggett. <laughs> yeah. We are out of here, and the beavers are back to trick-or-treating. Um, I enjoyed the confused narrator during the credits. Right? Yeah, same here. It felt very Monty Python-esque with the music, you know, powering down and him yep. just going off on his own thing. So, any final opinions there, Trav, on that one? Well, like I said, this is definitely the best standalone episode we've done, and I did have to write down some of Oxnard Mandelvo's best B-movie lines. Please, please. <clears throat> so, anything is possible if it happens. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. I like that a lot. Another moment, and it would have been later. <laughs> <laughs> 
with a little luck and things going in our favor, we'll find out something. <laughs> <laughs> like, seriously. And then the last one I put, the doc and I will hold them off as long as we can hold them. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good Oxnard impression. I like that a lot. But yeah, I just, the B-movie storyline that they love throughout the whole series is great. And this is, it really does feel like a movie in the midst of yes. their show. It's, yes. It's really good. What did you think? Um, like I said at the beginning of this, it, it's a really, really good episode. It's fun to watch. It's more than just an Angry Beavers episode. Yeah. Seems like uh, Mitch Shower really, really drew from his own experiences as a kid. Probably mm-hmm. his own experiences as somebody that really enjoyed B movies. Um, like I've mentioned before, um, I haven't really watched a lot of B movies. Just everything that's with Mystery Science Theater three thousand. So I've seen it in that aspect, but no yeah. other way. Um, the live action, the, the the funny jokes, the tongue and cheekness of it, the fourth wall breaking. The spleen being in it the spleen after being he's in dressed it. up as the spleen. Yes. I, uh, it was just a really, really good episode, and I really like that one a lot. Yeah. Definitely definitely ranks pretty high for me. That's you're for welcome, sure. listeners. Yes, you're <laughs> that was welcome. That a great homework. Uh, Ren and Stimpy is next, but uh, that's it's going to be tough to beat that the Angry Beavers episode, that's for sure, for as much as yes. I love Ren and Stimpy. Um, the episode that we did for Ren and Stimpy was Haunted House, which was November 21st, 1992. It was epi- episode, excuse me, season two, episode four, directed by Ron Huggert, uh, written by John Chris Felusi, Bob Camp, Jim Smith, and Richard Purcell. Storyboard by Jim Smith, Richard Purcell, and Bob Camp. Um, this episode was originally going to be made for a rejected Tiny Toon Adventure segment called High Spirits. Featuring Gogo and Hampton. So that's kind of cool, right? This is directly taken yeah. from a rejected script for Tiny Toon Adventures. Which is one of your favorite shows. It is one of my favorite shows. Um, it's The plot in the original Tiny Toon storyboard is pretty much the same, minus the ghost being suicidal. <laughs> yeah, minus that you know <laughs> minor detail at the end Sui- of the episode. Suicidal ghost. Uh, this episode opens up with, uh, Stimpy saying, look, Ren, this looks like a great place to kill 12 minutes. <laughs> that was a great way to start the episode. <laughs> it is. Um, all three of these episodes are very tongue in cheek, very fourth wall breaky. However you want to say that. I yeah. like that a lot. Uh, Ren just says, you said it, pal. <laughs> <laughs> and we get to meet the ghost. Oh boy. Some hapless victims. That's a good impression. <laughs> Thank you. Watch me put on my most hideous grimace. <laughs> <laughs> then we get multiple instances of the ghost trying to scare Ren and Stimpy that always end up failing. Behind the door, the ghost gets crushed. The ghost possesses a suit of armor that attempts to kill Stimpy with the axe, but just splits the log in half, and Stimpy makes a fire in the armor because Stimpy thinks it's a wood-burning stove. Yeah. Uh, Stimpy toasts his buns, and the ghost turns into a hot dog ghost. Yeah, um, that makes sense. It was cool that uh, when Stimpy did pull out that log, he's like, log. Log <laughs> makes its first appearance right. in our podcast yep. assignments. Yep. Do you want to sing the song? I don't have it down. Oh, I can. <clears throat> I, I log rolls downstairs over in pairs, rolls over your neighbor's dog. It fits on your back. It's great for a snack. It's log, log, log. It's log, it's log. It's big, it's heavy, it's wood. It's log, it's log. It's better than bad. It's good. Everyone wants it log. Everyone loves it log, log, log. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. And Tim is going to love that because Tim sings that song every time I bring up love. <laughs> I enjoy that song a lot and I enjoy that whole thing a lot. Um, but like we said, we got a uh, ghost hot dog now. So great. Whatever. Uh, in the kitchen with Ren and Stimpy. I'm hungry, Ren. Yeah, me too. I could sure go for a sandwich. Yeah, a sandwich. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now the ghost is hiding in the bread and he says, I'll hide in this bread, you know, so Ren and Stimpy make a sandwich that has peanut butter, marmalade, fish eggs, and the fish. (laughs) The fish eggs was a little bit much, squeezing it out of the fish. That was gross. (laughs) That was disgusting. (laughs) There's a few images in this specific episode of Ren and Stimpy that really stick in my mind. Like, I've seen, like, when I saw them in the episode, when we were rewatching them for the podcast, I was like, 
Man, that is uh, that's been emblazoned in my memory for since my childhood. That's oh, yeah. for sure. Um, uh, so they make the sandwich, and uh, Stimpy's gonna just jump right into it, and Ren screams, "Stop, you selfish pig! You would eat all of it. Think of all the starving yaks out there." So Stimpy gives a sandwich to a yak that happens to be in the kitchen with them. Yeah, <laughs> and. He does have a small waist, but he's gigantic he is and very gigantic. buff, so I don't know about starving, but... Exactly. Is that the shaven yak? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like him, but he's got a different voice, but all yaks in, Ren and, in the Ren and Stimpy-verse are shaved, maybe? Maybe? That, I'm guessing. <laughs> uh, what's he doing, Ren? A yak always tenderizes his food before he eats it, because he's just pummeling that ghost yeah. sandwich. <laughs> yeah, that one's from the old man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so at this point now it's time for bed I'm bushed old friend let's go up and wet the bed <laughs> yeah is this another one of them you know suggestions the last time we did it they were pouring stuff in dad's shoes and all that <laughs> and now they're like what suggesting kids go wet the bed I don't know it could very well be you know not the best examples uh, but uh, Stimpy says sure I wonder where it is maybe it's up those hideous stairs <laughs> <laughs> So they make it upstairs to the bed. Uh, now the ghost thinks this is his chance to finally scare Ren and Stimpy. With Ren and Stimpy in bed, we get the first gruesome close-up of the episode, the only gruesome close-up of the episode, and it was a pretty tame one. It yeah. was Stimpy's stinky pit. Yeah. Uh, Stimpy gets kicked out of bed and is told to go take a shower, which he does, while he sings Happy Happy Joy Joy, which is pretty funny. I it like that funny. a lot. Um, he ends up grabbing the ghost as a towel, which, you know, they were kind of doing the whole... Uh, uh, spoof on the movie Psycho with it being black and white and the shower yeah. scene and all that stuff. Um, grabs the ghost, uses the ghost as a towel. Don't forget to wash where the sun don't shine. Yeah. <laughs> so Stimpy does just that. <laughs> Pl- plenty of times I did that as a kid because of this episode. <laughs> it's a good thing I'm already dead. <laughs> <laughs> so after this is when in the original airing would have been the bloody head head fairy scene excuse me the bloody head fairy scene um the link to this little segment is in the show notes it was cut from the dvd release um the reason was that john k wasn't happy that the original idea for the bloody head fairy uh george licker in a tutu so george licker is like one of john k's first characters that he ever created and he does make an appearance in ren and stimpy but he's not named George Licker. If you Google George Licker, you will see the picture of him, and if you're familiar with Ren and Stimpy at all, you will recognize the character. But he was supposed to be the bloody head fairy, but that was rejected by Nicktoons and uh, Nickelodeon and was replaced with a parody of Doug Funny from The Doug Show, which John Kay didn't get why he was making fun of Doug Funny. Yeah. He didn't like that. So that's hence why it's not uh, in the DVD. And I actually failed to, to mention this whole episode isn't on Paramount Plus at all. Yes. Because of a suicidal ghost. <laughs> that, you know, minor detail we talked about. Don't really want a seven-year-old watching a ghost trying to commit suicide at any point whatsoever. With multiple <laughs> attempts. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah. If you want to go check out that little uh, scene, it's, uh, it's pretty funny. Um, basically, the ghost gets a bloody head puts it on top of Ren to attract the bloody head fairy. And then the bloody head fairy comes, takes the bloody head and puts two dimes in Ren's ear and says when he's doing it, after he takes the head, he goes, that's worth about two dimes or that's worth a couple of dimes. (laughs) It's very weird and very out there. So check it out. It's pretty cool. So after he's, the ghost has now failed at all his attempts to scare Ren and Stimpy. So he decides that it's time to end it all or time. Well, I, I should say he's, He's going to try to scare Ren and Stimpy one more time. And he's going to go Jason on the bit. He gets the mask and the chainsaw. Um, With the ghost at the foot of Ren and Stimpy's bed, he wakes them up by screaming, Wake up, you pigs! And the duo does wake up, and they they mistake the ghost as a trick-or-treater. And Ren and Stimpy give the ghost candy and tell him Happy Halloween. And the ghost says, That's it. I quit. (laughs) (laughs) The ghost reveals himself and look, fellas, I'm a ghost. I've been trying to scare you guys through this whole picture. I'm a failure. 
that's a very like Looney Tunes thing to say. Like that yeah. whole line is like, you know, through this whole picture, I've been trying to do this. That's a fourth wall breaking thing that Definitely. you would have seen in Looney Tunes or Merry Melodies or anything like that. Uh, so there's only one thing left to do. I'm going to end it all with a hammer and nail. <laughs> yep, just doing it. That's brutal. That is very brutal. That is brutal. Stimpy says, sweet Lord, no. Are you crazy, man? You can't do that. Here, try this. <laughs> Stimpy hands the ghost a bottle of poison. And the ghost uh, drinks it all and dies. And this is why the episode is not on Paramount Plus. Because the ghost killed himself. Yep. <laughs> and the ghost is reborn as a nude African-American man named Rudolph the Jasmine, who then uh, drives away in a large convertible. I truly do not get the ending of this episode. I don't get it at all. <laughs> I was going to ask if you had any sense of the end of this episode, and you just answered. Uh, I, I looked up who that character was if it was supposed to be in reference to something someone somebody some movie some but no it's just a one-off character named rudolph the jazz man all right all right right <laughs> truly don't get the end of that episode um but that's how it ends and it's ended it's, that's it it's over <laughs> what did you think of that episode trav i liked that episode too obviously i mean obviously all these episodes were really good mm -hmm. minus the end of that not making any sense but Man, your impression is spot on of that ghost. Uh, well, thank you. I so. appreciate that. It doesn't sound that good in my head, so I'm glad it sounds uh, better coming out. It's good. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I, I really like this episode. Um, is one that I, I remember quite often. Like mm -hmm. I remember seeing this one on TV. I remember being very weirded out by the ghost and all the stuff that's in it and the, the suicide being confused by the suicidal yeah. ghost and the sandwich is very memorable. Uh, yes, and then the, the sandwich is, yes. punching it on the fridge. Very memorable. And then the nude African American gentleman at the end of the episode yeah. also is very memorable. I remember being a very confused young boy. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> very confused. That's for sure. Um, I really liked it. It's absolutely anything you could want out of a Ren and Stimpy cartoon. It was odd. It was gross. It was inappropriate for yep. children. <laughs> and that's precisely why I love Ren and Stimpy. Plain and simple. Yep. Um, so to talk about these three episodes as a whole, um, the trick-or-treating angle through these three episodes was a complete mistake. Yeah, I'd like coincidence. Coincidence, or... yes. It was a complete coincidence. I'd like to say that I planned that. Yes. I did not. <laughs> I'll say I did, but I did not. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, it's a great set of episodes, and uh, I can't wait to do more Nicktoons. I can't wait to do more Nicktoons. They're fun to watch. They're fun episodes for us to do. I just can't wait to do more Nicktoons. Yeah, hopefully we can keep getting lucky and picking out such great standalone episodes. Like yes, um, and it's honestly, I'm just getting very lucky with picking some of these episodes. I'm not... Like, I'm just picking episodes where I'm like, ah, that, that one looks good. Yeah. Thank goodness they all had the trick-or-treating theme. Talking about Halloween and that. Oh, yeah. perfect. 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 I literally Googled Halloween Nicktoons. <laughs> That's what came up. So, Bada-bing. Right. Bada-bing. Bada-bing, right? Um, any final thoughts that you'd like to talk about on these three episodes, Trav? I think we pretty much covered it, but yeah. One more shout-out to Oxnard Montalvo. And Man Cervantes. I did. I did, to touch on that. I did like how everybody kind of said his name differently through that whole yeah. episode. I thought that was funny. I really liked that a lot. Toluca Lake was the shining star in that episode. Oh, for sure. She was very funny when he when Oxnard throws that uh, bookcase. Yeah. Just completely the opposite direction. Yeah. He just pummels her with it. That's he, the and best. He, he lifts it up over his head and lets the books drop <laughs> onto himself, <laughs> yes. and then. Later, they're about to escape the house, and she's behind him with the doctor, and he says, we'll make it if we make it through, and he pulls the board, and then they fall and collapse in the house, and he does not. <laughs> she just, she had it rough, so yeah, she was the star that she's still on her two broken ankles. <laughs> yes. I tell you, that line when she says that her, well, they're broken, but they're better, but that they're better. just killed me every yeah. time I watched that episode. Well, I guess we can move on to our homework assignment then. Um, we're sticking with the Halloween theme since this one's going to be coming out at the end of October. We're going with The Shining. Uh, it's May 23rd, 1980. So that's right at the very beginning of our uh, limits here, which is cool. Yep. Um, it had a budget of $19 million and it had a worldwide box office of almost $48 million. And in 2022, that's a $170 million picture. So... 
that's a uh, that's a success, right? Oh yeah, yeah, Not that's a success. Change. Thank you, USinflationCalculator.com. Thank you. Yeah, I said it without screwing it up. <laughs> um, directed by Stanley Kubrick, obviously. Um, it was co-written with novelist Diane Johnson and Stanley Kubrick, based on the Stephen based on Stephen King's nineteen nine excuse me based on Stephen King's nineteen seventy seven novel of the same name. It stars Jack Nicholson. We all know Jack. I don't need to go anything more into Jack. Oh yeah. So we know Jack. Uh, Shelley Duvall. Uh, she was in the movie Popeye with Robin Williams in nineteen eighty. Also, she played Olive Oil, and her stature is very appropriate for playing Olive Oil. Um, she was also in Suburban Commando as uh, Jenny Wilcox in 1991. Are you familiar with Suburban Commando? I am not. You are not familiar with... Okay, no. this one is going to be homework. It is a Hulk Hogan film with Christopher Lloyd. Okay, I already love it. <laughs> yes, yes. It's a. We will definitely be getting into that one. The we thing I remember from the most... I forget what it was called, but it was like Bedtime Stories or hmm. something that she was like a host and it was... Kind of like a fourth wall thing, or not a fourth wall, but she starts off the show in live action, and then I forget if it was a cartoon, but I don't know, my grandma owned those, and that's what I know her from, and then it's crazy to see her in The Shining. Yeah. Very, very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the sh- we'll probably get into it more in the next episode, but The the Shining really changed Shelley Duvall. Yeah. It really changed her, like, as a person. Uh, she was also in an episode of All Real Monsters in 1997 as Akka, as a voice, and his episode Oblina Without a Cause. I think, if I remember right, Akka is either Oblina's mother or grandmother, some sort of relation. They're like the same kind of monster, sure. if I remember correctly. Um, we also have Scatman Carruthers in uh, The Shining. Um, He was a teenage singer and a performer in the 1930s. He started acting in the 50s and was active until 1986 when he died in November of that year. Among many other voice acting and on-screen performances, he appeared in four films with Jack Nicholson. So that's kind of cool, right? Yeah, definitely. He was in The King of Marvin Gardens in 72, uh, The Fortune in 75, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest also in 75, and then The Shining in 1980. I've of those movies I've only seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I don't know Same. what The Fortune is and I don't know what The King of Marvin Gardens is. Yep. I highly doubt it's a movie about Monopoly, but yeah. it could be. Well, no. I'm guessing, <laughs> no, no, maybe. Um interestingly enough, one of uh, Scatman's uh, uh voice acting bids was in as Jazz the Autobot in Transformers and Transformers the Movie in 1986. Transformers the Movie was his last performance, was Scatman Carruthers' last performance. He died shortly after making that. Um, you've seen that movie, correct? The the Transformers movie in 1986? I don't think so. That's a good one, man. That's a good one. It's right up there with the G.I. Joe movie. Oh, It's, okay. it's right up there. Um, and then, of course, Dan, Danny Lloyd, primarily known for The Shining. Um, in 1982, he was Will G. Gordon Liddy as uh, the young G. Gordon Liddy, uh, which was a TV movie. Um, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> um. So yeah, that, that's The Shining in a nutshell. Um, I'm excited to do this. It's probably going to be a little bit of a different episode um, with the fact that uh, we're not going to go scene by scene with The Shining. Odds are you've seen The Shining. I think we're going to pick a couple of sections or a couple of scenes that we each individually like and want to talk about. Yeah. Um, and uh, just kind of go into maybe some of the mythos that surrounds The Shining. And like I said... Uh, there's some pretty interesting behind-the-scenes stories with uh, Shelley Duvall and Stanley Kubrick's relationship behind the scenes. It was not a good one. I'll leave it at that. Uh, I can imagine. I've heard a lot of crazy things about... There's a lot of weird, crazy coincidences with the filming of that movie and stuff, if you really buy into that supernatural kind of thing. Something with Jim Carrey staying at like the hotel or wherever this was recorded. And Man, he, I don't and, know that one. Yeah, and he was all freaked out by the room that the craziness happens yeah. in. That's crazy. I didn't. I didn't know that one. Um, so I'm excited to do The Shining. I'm excited to watch The Shining three or four times because oh, it's yeah. a really, really good movie. Stanley Kubrick is top three, top one director for me. I love all of his movies. Although, uh, um, what was the? Oh, there was a period piece that uh, people love it, but I could not get through it. I wish I could remember it right now, but I can't. And whatever. Moving on. 
Um, but we are definitely in the Halloween zone now yes. after this Nicktoons. So yes. it's um, I'm excited because this is a movie I for sure watch at least once every Halloween. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a, a favorite. This is a favorite. It's very, very good. Even though, you know, I'm I'm sure it's been apparent to you, the listener, that I'm a Stephen King fan. I like Stephen King novels. I like Stephen King movies and the miniseries and the TV movies that are made around it. And this is about as far from the Stephen King novelization as it could get it's Stephen King. We'll get into it, but Stephen King does not like this movie. It's not that he doesn't like Stanley Kubrick, but he doesn't like the movie because it's not what he wrote for the book. You know what I mean? It's, sure. it's very different apparently. Yeah. Um, I own the book, but I have not read the book. It's, I, it's worth the read. I, I should say worth the read. I rarely read a book. I usually listen to them. It's, I mean, yeah, I have a lot of time during the day to listen to stuff, so I will listen to books mostly, most of the time. I should actually crack open a book and read it sometime. Yeah, I'm sure it'd probably should, be good for me. Too. I don't know <laughs> if it's scary enough that I have to put it in the freezer like Joey does in Friends, <laughs> but um, it's definitely going to be worth a shot. Thank you for the Friends reference. It's been too long. Yep, there's um, another Friends reference. And then just a quick reminder here before we get to the outro, we're still planning on doing that one-off episode for Kirby Superstar from March 21st, 1996. You still have time to play that game, and we'll let you know when that episode's coming out. It's just going to be a quick hitter, 30-minuter, released on an off week. So that'll be fun. Um, with that said, Trav, what do you got for me? Time to get into these emails here. So our first email comes from Nutterbutter64 wants to know our favorite Nicolas Cage movie from the 80s or 90s. Mm, well... There's plenty. Um, Raising Arizona is an absolute stunner. I love that movie from beginning to end. I mean, it's a Coen Brothers film, so what what can't you like about that? And then, of course, Con Air. I absolutely love that one. Um, you know, some of his earlier stuff. There's one where he's a vampire. I wish I could remember it. He's a vampire in it. That does not sound familiar to I've, me. It's, man, it's a very, I don't think it's a 70s movie, but it's a very early 80s movie. Um, it's it's a movie I've seen maybe once. It was just a very odd movie. I like that one a lot. But Con Air, all those, Nick Cage is awesome. Con, Con Air is great. Yeah. I put down Face Off. Oh, yeah. Which came around the same time as Con Air. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just, I like both him and Travolta and something about that movie i've watched it a lot it's great it's it's so bad it's good <laughs> uh, well then of course gone in 60 seconds was that a 90s movie i think so and man it must have come out in like 99 or 98 or something true like that maybe it, it didn't make maybe the it cut. didn't make the cut but uh next email comes from speaking of travolta squidly duber wants to know our favorite John Travolta movie from the 80s or 90s? Mm, well, the obvious choice is the movie that brought him back into relevance in the 90s pulp fiction. Yep. Um, that movie is crazy good. It really is. I don't know if it's my favorite Tarantino, but it's really, really close to being... the. It's For me, it's hard to choose between Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs for Tarantino movies. Agreed. Um, but uh, Pulp Fiction, that is just uh, it inv- It really created a lot of trends in the 90s for the way movies were shot. The whole mm-hmm. out of sequence, backwards and forwards, stories coming together from all over the place was such a novel thing at the time. It just yeah. wasn't, uh, it wasn't done. Storytelling was very, very linear in the 90s. You wanted a beginning, a middle, and an end. You didn't want it to be ambiguous. You didn't want to be wondering how this is all coming together but right. Tarantino took a real leap with that and said I'm putting it together however the heck I want yeah and, so many huge actors in that movie yes, too which yes, is great yes. I saw something recently saying that that movie is way too overhyped and I couldn't disagree more agreed I, it's a really good movie it's something I saw like later than I should have seen it but it's it's an A plus yeah. in my book. That one came out in '94, and I bet you I saw it in '96 as a 12 year old. That was inappropriate for me <laughs> as a 12 year old to see it. Uh, yes, I I think I saw it at a sleepover, and we rented some movies, and my buddy's dad also rented some movies, and one of the ones that he rented, if I remember how this went right, one of the movies he rented was Pulp Fiction. We stayed up and watched movies like almost all night that night. 
and my buddy went upstairs, grabbed Pulp Fiction, and we watched it at like yeah. two o'clock in the morning. Oof. It was highly inappropriate for a 12 year old. Uh, but... Yeah. <laughs> when that winds up being a homework assignment, there will be a scene. If you somehow are listening and have not seen that movie, that you will know what Drew is talking yes. about. Well, and that's one other thing that I did not mention when we were doing the homework assignment, if you don't mind, real quick here. Uh, the Shining is rated R. It has nudity, it has blood, it has guts. So talk to your mommy and daddy yeah, if you are un- if you're under eighteen, please. Yes, this, definitely. It's scary. It's I mean, I guess these kids though with the internet, they've probably seen worse. Already. They've probably seen worse. <laughs> so but the next the next movie is rated R. So. Very rated R. Yes. All right, next email comes from Bruce Lee Ain't Got Nothing On Me who wants to know your favorite martial arts movie growing up. So it was probably Double Impact with Jean-Claude Van Damme with JCVD. That was Ooh. probably my favorite with a close second being, uh, so it wasn't Kickboxer, Bloodsport. Blood so Kickboxer, Kickboxer, Bloodsport, and then The Temple are all three of the same movie that Jean-Claude Van Damme made three times, basically. <laughs> yeah. But Bloodsport was the best of the three because it had Bolo Young in it, the yep. Chinese Hercules. Bolo yep. Young's the best. Um, there's a, he has his own movie called Bolo that came out in, it might've been the seventies, but I think it was like 80 or 81. It is the craziest, nuttiest thing that you could ever see. That's might be a homework it's, assignment. It's, it's terribly good. It's terribly, terribly good. I, I like that a lot. Blood sport for me, for sure. I agree. And I put enter the dragon. Did you oh, ever see that movie? Yes. Yes. It's yes, like yes, the yes. guy who's supposed to be Bruce Lee or whatever, mm-hmm. but uh, something about that movie. I watched that a lot. I like Bruce Lee. When, um, when my sister and my mother would travel uh, back to North Dakota for uh, family, my father and I would normally have to stay in Mankato because of my hockey schedule that I'd be playing. Like They would go, but I would have a hockey tournament or I'd have hockey practices or something. So at that time, Tom would take me to the uh, video store and we'd rent movies. And usually it was uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Steven oh, yeah. Seagal. Oh, yeah. It was that type of stuff, you know? Sounds like my dad. Uh, top, uh, Time Cop. I'll never forget Time Cop. That was the first instance of full frontal nudity that I ever saw in a movie. <laughs> <Whew>. <laughs> and I just remember I was sitting on the floor watching and my dad was sitting on the couch watching and he just goes, oops. Oops. <laughs> 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 that was it for that. And I was like, Oops. oh, okay, the, that's where babies come from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. This next one here is from It's Milk Not Milk wants to know, was there a favorite meal that your parents made that you always got excited for? Meatloaf. Meatloaf. Meatloaf to this day. Like, if my mom says, I'm making meatloaf, I'm like, I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll be there. I didn't. I don't know. She, it's nothing. It's just a meatloaf mix out of a box. You know what I mean? Sure. Uh, she never did the ketchup on top. I don't think I would like that. No, yeah. No ketchup on top. But Not a ketchup. Yeah. Meatloaf, mashed potatoes and gravy, some broccoli, and then some I don't, Heinz fifty seven sauce is what I would put on the, on the meatloaf. Sure, That's one sure. of my favorite meals that they would make. I put the Minnesota classic tater tot hot dish. This is sacrilege. I am not a fan. What? <laughs> oh my gosh, I love tater tot hot dish. My da- and then I've said before, my parents aren't together. One of the few meals I've eaten that my mom also makes is tater tot hot dish, and it's different. But I like both tater tot hot dish versions. Uh, my wife really loves tater tot hot dish, so she she makes it, and I do eat it. But it's but not my first choice. I don't know. Just you eat it, but you're you know kind of looking like. Lloyd when he finds out what Harry's been doing with Marion. <laughs> Dry even over there. I'm not picky. My 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 mother taught me well with the dinner. She's like, this is what's for dinner. Either you eat it or you yeah. fend for yourself. So sure. if it's what's for dinner, that's what's for dinner. I'll eat it. My dad definitely catered to my picky eaterness, that's for sure. Our next email here comes from Wallani Rat wants to know was there a restaurant you loved as a kid that is now closed or extinct? Bonanza. That's what I put. <laughs> nice, nice. Did Mankato have a bonanza? Yes. Uh Grizzlies. Oh, okay. That was Bonanza, which oh, that man. building is torn down now because Slim Chickens is there. Can you jog your memory and think how long ago that was gone? So Bonanza probably closed in 
I would bet 95, 96, 97, okay. something like that. And then Grizzlies moved into that building. Wow. And now that's gone. And now that's gone. That's and the crazy. last time that was there that long. It was there that long. Uh, that building, when it got torn down, the last time we ate at Grizzlies, uh, you could tell that they had stopped caring about the building. Yeah. I was like, I am never going to come eat here again. This place is gross. Yeah. <laughs> but Slim Chickens is amazing. It is very, very good. I just remember Bonanza, you had to, it was a, it was a, it was one of those where you ordered, but there was also a buffet. Right. Right. And there was a big line that you had to come in. Like the, there was like this long hallway that you would go up to the front of the building. I never went to the Bonanza in New Ulm. I okay. don't know what that one looked like. Right. But. It sounds just like the one in New Ulm. Because yeah. I never, that's why I wanted to know what the year was. Because you said 95 or 96. So I would have been six, maybe seven. Why would my dad take me to the Mankato one? Right. So. Bonanza, man. Bonanza. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I love that. Ordering the chicken strip basket and then going yeah. and getting the salad bar buffet yeah. type stuff. Yeah, the salad bar. Eat. The Petri dish of everybody's snot and gross hands. Yes. <laughs> and then they had, like, brownies or chocolate cake and also had fudge, like, melted fudge to put over the top yes. of it. Yes. And then you throw a little ice cream on there. Yes. <gasps> You had, the, you had the three choices of the ice cream, right? The yep. vanilla, this twist, and the chocolate, oh, right? Yeah, Twi- twist every time for me. Yep. Twist every time. Yep. Extinct. I think the last time I went to one was like maybe 18 in St. Cloud or something. Wow, we we there looked was a... one up and there was still one somewhere. Dang. But yeah, no more Bonanza. Bonanza. All right, our last email comes from That's So Nostalgic. Wants to know if you could go back to the 80s or 90s, what is something that you would buy a bunch of knowing what you guys know now? So if I went back to the 80s, I would definitely just be buying video games by the handful. Oh, and for just, sure. Just keeping them forever. Sealed. Yeah, yeah, just be buying video games. Every video game that I could get my hand on is what I would, what I would buy. Yeah. Um, that and, I don't know, from the 80s i don't know like what what was something really good from the 80s that you can't get anymore i'm trying to think of like a food product yeah what was something really good in the mm. 80s that you can't well there's more 90s and you can still probably technically buy it but crystal clear pepsi come on yeah. now you, yep, you can't true. get that anymore like actual surge yes actual not, surge not the remade surge yeah and all that. um from the 90s i think if i was to buy something from the 90s and really not it would be like trading card games you oh, know for sure because i mean it's such a it's hindsight is 2020 Obviously. you know what i mean so it'd be all every type of trading card game basically yeah anything to keep sealed like you said video games galore never trading them into gamestop eventually yeah, like never. i did yeah. oh my gosh uh, systems just anything that has the box and instruction booklet in there you know, game boy games anything but anything. like you said trading cards i put as my actual answer, Pokemon cards. Yeah. For sure. Not only do I still love them, but holy cow, you could have spent what was between $120 and $180 for a box of cards back then that you could now sell for half a million dollars, which is crazy. That is crazy, man. Like you said, hindsight 2020, and how do you convince your dad to buy you a Pokemon card? It's like, no, no, I think 20 years in the future, <laughs> when there's a pandemic, the prices are going to skyrocket. I do have to say, I am pleased to see that those video game prices are starting to come back a little bit to normal. Yes, thankfully. That is awesome. Well, that wraps up our emails, so make sure you, yes you, email us at overduehomeworkpodcast at gmail.com. Check us out on Twitter at overduehomework and Instagram at overduehomeworkpodcast. And don't forget to tune in to the next exciting episode of the Overdue Homework Podcast.